men and women turning on each other, tearing each other's skin with their teeth and their nails. Eyes like snakes. Screams from below, cries from above. It's the end of the world. Judgment comes to wipe your stain from the world. Trust me, Sal. Stains coming out of my booth ain't from me. So gross! It is the hour of our reckoning and I have to spend it with you? I like what I do. I don't like being shamed for it. Especially by the one person who's so hot to save my soul, but can't be bothered to save me from dying in a fucking beef show booth! This is the end, Angie Petarelli. You thought hell was a joke? You thought hell wasn't real? Think again! Sally, I'm gonna need you to back off me now. Hell is coming for you. It is coming for everyone, and all of your sins, and all of your judgments, and all how you're going to pay. What other crazy, messed up shit do I have to deal with in a single day? Maybe try to be a little less aggressive. <laughs> You've been scaring the customers. Hello, everybody. Welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining us, as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? How are you? Greetings and salutations, religious zealots. Uh, yeah, I'm doing pretty well, Mike. How the hell are you doing? I am doing well. Uh, been a busy kind of week and a half of podcasting for me, partially due to my shows and some other stuff going on. So this is like the final recording of this week. But being that we're recording later in the week, it's like the turnaround time on the next episode is going to be short. But mm-hmm. I guess that's good. So joining us as always as well, it's Don and Ellie. What's up, Don? How are you? Yeah, great to uh, be here. Survive the uh, holiday season and uh, survive hell as well. So, uh, <laughs> late to uh, be here. Cool. Yeah, that's right. July 4th, man. I know I'm per- sure probably in most of our neighborhoods it sounded like a war zone. Mine was crazy as usual. Mine wasn't uh, bad. All right. I was actually surprised. Yeah, it was less than normal, but mine was still pretty... Normally, uh, mine's such a you know battleground that it practically sounds like I've got World War Three outside my house. But yeah, mm-hmm. it was still pretty heavy, but it wasn't you know like the chaos is normal because it was kind of like by ten o'clock it was kind of you know peaceful and kind of settled down. But I mean, it you know you're lucky if they stop before one a.m. over here. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of similar here in previous years. Like that was the main difference. Like. During, like, kind of the prime hours, it sounded crazy, but I'm used to it going to, like, midnight, 1 o'clock, and it didn't seem like it was that level this year. All right. Well, we are covering a movie that is currently streaming on Shudder. I think it's been there about a couple weeks now, and that movie would be Revealer. And the synopsis off this off from imdb tensions rise when a stripper and religious protester are trapped together in a peep show booth and must come together to survive the apocalypse in 1980s chicago so i i knew little to nothing about this one i mean i had seen i had seen it on the feed when it dropped but a i didn't really look much into it because i didn't even know like what was coming up in the theater so i was like i don't even know when we're gonna have to go go to vod but then too i just haven't really heard a lot of people talk about this either way like just i haven't heard much said so i went into it pretty blind um i think i even hit play without reading any type of synopsis or anything so it was all uh 100 uh new um okay so general thoughts uh we will start with venom what did you think of revealer 
I think most people's opinion of this movie is going to be directly tied to how they feel about our two main characters. We have a we have a cast of about what four or five people in total in this film, and we spend about ninety nine percent of the film's duration with two specific characters. And I think, uh, depending on how you look at these two characters, if you think they're you know organic, believable, grounded in reality, whatever, um, it could dictate how you look at the film. So for me, I enjoyed this film. I, I like these two. I thought I thought it was a nice little dichotomy between you know our stripper who, as it turns out, is doing this for a very good reason. All of the debaucherous stuff that she does, um, and then of course her protester who you know, a young, very young girl who seems like she's been indoctrinated since birth in Christianity. And just, you know, we're introduced to her yelling at our, um, at our stripper, Angie, as she's going into work, they're protesting a bookstore that also has those private booths where you can, you know, pay a few bucks and get a girl to dance for you for a couple of minutes. So, um, all in all, I mean, this movie is not really all that revolutionary. It's it's not really going to blow anyone's mind. I, I just had a decent little time with it. I like these two characters. I liked the relationship that they developed as the movie went along. Um, you know, to be able to see two people who pretty much hate each other, or at least one hates the other, whereas the stripper just kind of looks at the other chick as just, you know, kind of a silly little person. But um to see how their relationship kind of develops, how they handle the situation that they're in, things like that. I, I just thought it was a sweet little movie. We get, you know, we get a nice little, not a hopeful ending by any stretch, but um, kind of a nice culmination, at least of the story between these two girls between, you know, you know, do they, do they make amends? Do they make peace by the end of the movie? You'll have to stick around to find out, but I enjoyed this film for whatever it's worth. I'm not going to say it's great. Um, ultimately it's not filmed very well. The effects are only okay. I haven't even spoken about our creature because ultimately Asmodeus, um, looks kind of cool, but the inclusion of him in the film so early kind of almost adds a camp value to the movie. I don't know. It's like, it, it's really weird to say that the demon, like the, the demon design, the creature design on the demon looked cool, but it brought the movie down a little bit as far as like the silliness. Um, just because it was really hard to take it seriously once you actually see the full you know, outfit, but for whatever it's worth, I still think they did a good job with the, um, you know, with the makeup on that character, the voice left a little to be desired. I had, I, I had to turn on my subtitles to catch everything that the demon was saying. He was speaking in such a low and echoey voice, you know, heavy reverberation, really, really ultra deep, you know, the, the kind that you feel in your chest, you know, um, that deep ass loud voice. So I found myself having to turn on the subtitles. So I would have liked to have seen, you know, maybe a little bit better audio mix on the demon's voice. It doesn't necessarily have to be that booming. Um, but all in all, you know, not a whole lot of gore. I mean, there's really only one gory scene in the film. Um, yeah, there's really only like one on-screen death, if you will. And then the rest of it is just, you know, how these two handle the situation of first being trapped inside of this uh, adult bookstore. And then, you know, once they get out of the bookstore, you know, what they do to kind of try to find safety and get back together with their loved ones and everything else. So, you know, the movie's unremarkable, but I thought it was a nice little movie. It's, it's a, you know, it's a nice little indie that I mildly enjoyed. Very little of it frustrated me. Uh, um, you know, you guys know I easily get frustrated with my horror films. And yeah, at, at no point was I really frustrated with this film. It's just you can tell it's a, a little lacking, kind of a lower budget, maybe some newer filmmakers who aren't as experienced. But overall, I still had a decent little time with this movie. It's not going to get a high recommend from me. But if you're into, you know, demonic horror comedy, and I say comedy very loosely, but if you're into like demonic horror comedy type stuff, almost like porno maybe from uh, a couple of years ago and, and even Studio 666 from earlier this year, if you're into that kind of stuff, I think you'll enjoy Revealer, even though Revealer, I, I, like I said, it's not nearly as funny as any of the movies that I named, but it does have its funny moments, especially the stripper, like, you know, for obvious reasons, you know, she's very unfiltered in everything she says, which, you know, ultimately entertains me just like, uh, 
um, the little sister from uh, the black phone that I just absolutely adored because of her little attitude. Same thing with the stripper here. So yeah, nothing remarkable, but a nice little movie that, you know, I may not return to, but I enjoyed my time with it. All right. Uh, let's see what Don has to reveal about his uh, feelings on the movie. So take it away, Don. Yeah, I'm pretty close to Venom. Um, I I don't hate it. I don't love it. Um, I, I kind of found it to be okay. Um, yeah, the, the central relationship is going to be the uh, main deciding factor here just because, you know, like you said, we spend what 98 percent of the time with one of them if not both on screen uh at some point um yeah there's uh you know very 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 few chances where you know we're not inundated with one of their uh i i don't want to say speechifying but uh it's kind of like you know the the closest term to what goes on in here because Everything that they do either comes back to either the the stripper trying to assert her own independence and say, you know, stop with this religious, you know, apocalypse nonsense. It's not what's going on here. There's something else. Or her, you know, shouting off biblical quotes, trying to, you know, persuade her to repent and, you know, come to the light and we'll save you and stop all of this from happening. It, I can see where that would probably get tiresome or you could probably see it as, you know, like a cliche of some kind, because that's kind of, you know, the the only two choices that we get for this kind of a setup. But yeah, I, I came away from it having more fun than I thought I would be because I'm not generally a fan of these kind of, these kind of films where, you know, you're getting, you know, heavy handed religious, you know, Bible thumping or, you know, this kind of, you know, shove it up your ass kind of a thing. And I mean, you know, like like I said, that's not exactly what's going on, but it's kind of like the closest analogy I can make just because that's kind of they they don't go heavy handed with it. But that's kind of like the general theme of what's happening here. So it's kind of like the easiest the the easiest uh, approach to take here. I I kind of agree with him. I with Venom as well. I don't think that the demon should have been, you know, like this big early on reveal just because I found it to be kind of underwhelming. You know, he only has like one or two scenes where he really kind of like does anything and there's, you know, like a hint of like the threat that's actually happening just because, you know, we spend so much time with them that we don't get a real sense of, you know, who this thing actually is, what's actually happening. You, you hear hints that there's something, you know, apocalyptic happening in the background, you know, like some kind of four horsemen of the apocalypse, you know, the, you know, end of times, you, you know, Satan is coming, you know, all that kind of nonsense. To, I, there's very little that's actually, you know, physically shown. So you're, you're not necessarily sure what's happening, but yeah, in general, I, I, I don't hate this. Um, you know, it's fun enough. There's, you know, some great stuff that happens in the second half where they're kind of, you know, forced to take action instead of spending time just stuck in this, you know, porno booth theater, just, you know, twiddling their thumbs, not doing anything. But even that's fun enough to where it's not necessarily a true detriment. It's just, you know, I, I kind of wish more happened, but then I, I kind of don't because I had enough fun with the two as they are that I, I don't mind not having enough, uh, you know, having other characters involved. Yeah. I, I, I'd pretty much say, you know, exactly the same thing. It's a fun film. It's not going to, you know, set the world on fire. It's not going to, you know, win any awards. It's not going to, you know, be anything on the bottom of your list either. You know, it, uh, for a shutter film, this is kind of, um, I would say more on the higher end of things, you know, it's not, you know, uh, night's in, but it's not a sadness either. So I, I, I enjoyed it. I'm not going to necessarily think too highly of it. It's something that, you know, I'm glad I spent my 85 minutes with and, uh, you know, something for bragging rights at the end of the year. And I think that's kind of where it stands. So. And yeah, I, I'm kind of uh, run out of this because, uh, you know, no spoilers, but um, yeah, that's uh, kind of where I stand. Okay, cool. So 
Yeah, I am going to kind of agree with you guys. I, I think we're all on a similar page here. I think it's a good movie, not great, but I looked up the director, and it looks like this is his first feature. So mm, makes sense. You know, when yeah, it, I, yeah, I, when I it's a, a lot of uh, yeah, there's a lot of first time director filmmaker choices here. Yeah, sense. and it, it looks like he also was like uh, credited with some of the writing. So. It, with that in context, it, it makes sense because that's how it feels. It also feels like he uses some different tricks to get by with a lower budget. And I think Don was kind of alluding to it where we get a lot of like um, conversations between them. A lot of them trying to work out kind of like their own issues besides just the apocalypse or whatever you would consider going on outside of the building. Right. I mean, I, I almost look at this movie as like a Joe Bagos light because <laughs> it, it felt it almost felt like a similar setup huh? where they're trapped in this building, things are trying to get in, but where Bagos probably had a bigger budget or maybe just more resources to like have mm-hmm. tons of like uh, creatures coming after him. This one, it really has to pick its uh, moments, and I think there's some good stuff with like the. I, I don't know what you call them, like demonic worm things. Like mm-hmm. they pulled that off pretty well, but I do totally agree that they showed like the main demon thing too soon because the big issue with, with that is it doesn't really do anything. Like it, it, it talks, you know, it speaks of some impending doom on the way and it actually gets to a point where one of the characters is having a conversation with it. <laughs> um, but between like the few times it actually physically appears on screen, it doesn't do a whole lot, so it almost feels like it would have been better to make it more um, obscure or innocuous until, like, the last time it shows up, and then what happens happens, and maybe it would have made for, like, a bigger kind of, like, moment. Um, because once it shows up for the first time and you kind of see all there is to see, hear all there is to hear, yeah, the subsequent appearances are just like, okay, yeah, well, are you going to do something different this time? Um, I like the cinematography. That's another thing that made me think of Bagos, the the blues, the purples, the, even the reds towards the end. Oh, the neon. I think that's kind yeah. of becoming like a, a thing with uh, indie films now. Like a lot of them are using um, that kind of hue with everything. And maybe just, you know, it it helps probably with less resources in your in your like special effects or just creatures or whatever, if you're using practical effects, it could help mask it without having to just be totally dark in shadows, right? The blue and the purple probably helps mm-hmm. out. I also did like the score, um, yeah. uh, you know, your typical kind of synth, uh, dark music synth, going yeah. on in the background, dark synth. Yeah, correct. And it was, I think under 90 minutes, like right around 85, yeah. I think 85, mm-hmm. 86 minutes. And, you know, this is the type of stuff that I wish Shudder would go after more. It felt like a few years ago they had a lot more movies along the, the, these lines where, you know, it's it's not like you're getting a 10 out of 10 movie, but you're getting some ambition there, some, some young talent that's doing something interesting for their first film. But overall, I mean, I agree with Venom. It's nothing mind-blowing, nothing that you're going to come away with seeing. I haven't seen it before. But at the same time, it was enjoyable. I, I did uh, buy into the kind of, I guess, budding friendship dynamic between the two characters, yeah. kind of where, where they started and where they ended up was cool. And I did really like the, uh, the if you guys stuck around for, I think, what about the first quarter of the end credits where they kind of show what's going on outside yeah yeah slowly just gets bigger in scope to where you see kind of everything so i thought that was really cool to include that because mm-hmm. i wasn't sure how long that was going to last but you know it pulled back pretty no pretty i far. love that because i mean it gives you a definitive ending to the movie as opposed to if if it would have ended with the shot before that, with the you know with ah, I can't even say it. But if it would have ended with the shot before that, it would have left too many questions. Like the what what you know did this actually happen? What's going on outside? Blah blah blah. But with that one little camera pan out that they end the movie with, it, it answers any remaining questions left. And yeah, I, I thought it was one of the best parts of the movie, only because it answered questions. Yeah, and it looks like, and just as a side note for this director, it looks like his next project is uh, called Revival, and it's based on the comic Revival. And I actually have the first couple trades of 
revival. It's it's you know and it's kind of another another unique version of like oh these people or dead people start coming back to life, but they're not necessarily zombies in the traditional sense. Kind of like they're reintegrating into society, but some have bad intentions. So I am kind of interested because it's, oh, sounds like Dead and Buried from '81. There's kind Dead of, and Barry, yeah. there's The Return, there's that one that the BBC did. Um, there, there's like a handful of different kinds of these things that have sprouted up in the last five, six years. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's cool, though, because, I mean, I, I, I am interested to see what he does next. And hopefully, I, I'm not sure what studio or who's putting the movie out, but if it gets like a decent size budget. I almost want to say, I didn't look enough into it to see if it's actually going to be a show because usually with a comic it's it would be hard to do it all in a movie as opposed to like you know different multiple episodes so that'll be something to look out for and it's slated as 2023 so i would imagine being halfway through this year we'll get somewhere imdb IMDb says it's a movie it's not a series okay well that'll be yeah Yeah, that that's a lot to pack in a movie. Um, but we'll we'll see. I mean, maybe they just <laughs> turn the story to make it fit. I mean, how many times have you know how many books have been adapted to film and just left so much out of it? Most recently, The Dark Tower. If anybody mm-hmm. saw The Dark Tower, that movie was absolute garbage compared to the book. So, yeah, sometimes, you, I mean. Especially with these longer novels. I mean, you can't put everything in there. You're going to end up with an eight-hour movie. So I understand yeah. why you kind of have to cut a lot of stuff out of the book. But as long as they don't cut the best stuff out, which is pretty much what they did with the Dark Tower. So, yeah, F that movie. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so just to get back to my the end of my general thoughts, I would say check it out. It's on Shutter, so it's available widely. Um, and... Yeah, I would say give it a shot and see what you think. And it's definitely something that when you're watching it, you're like, I've seen this type of thing before. But I think for our first feature, it's it's a really good effort. No, it really is. Um, and even the character Ray, like the, the bookstore manager, like he could have come off as a very annoying douchebag character, but he actually came off as funny to me. Even though he was kind of screwing around with the with, with the stripper Pretty much any time they had any interaction, he was just kind of messing with her. I, I still kind of found him funny, um, you know, because he, he doesn't come off as like a douche or malicious or anything like that. It's not like he's sexually assaulting these women by any stretch. He's just, you know, he's fucking with them. He's having fun with them. Um, I, I like uh, Ray, I think his name was. Yeah. Even though he doesn't, <laughs> unfortunately, he doesn't stay with us long. <laughs> I like the character. <laughs> yeah. He was oh, the cool. store owner? Yeah, the, the manager. Yeah, yeah. The, the manager, owner. yeah. Uh, I loved him. Uh, you know, I mean, you know, we don't get him for long, but he's entertaining while we have him. <laughs> uh, I, anybody have anything else to say that doesn't fall under non-spoilers before we move on? I'm good. Actually, and I did want to reiterate Mike's point about the lighting in this movie. Because the movie is set in the 80s, 86, I believe, to be exact, 86 or 87, the use of neon just feels so natural. And, of course, you know, neon lights the way that they throw light onto the scene it's you know it's a very distinct style so yeah um uh, mike's description of bagos light actually fits really well here so i'll go with that i'll give i'll give my credit for that one Uh, i never give my credit so there you go buddy (laughs) (laughs) all right folks so uh, let's get into it. Revealer 2022. Our movie opens up with a television showing a televangelist doing his normal rants of, you know, send me a small donation and you will find salvation in heaven, blah, 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 blah. Suddenly, uh, the the television is in like this red room. It's in like a brick room that's lit in red. And then suddenly out of nowhere, the evangelist on the television shows up in the room, almost like he teleported out of the television. Maybe not literally, but that's kind of what it looks like to us. Uh, we hear the, de- the the demonic voice that we'll hear throughout the film, start speaking to him, talking about, you know, the punishment for sinners is death, blah, blah, blah. And he starts screaming to the voice, you know, I'm not a fornicator. I'm not a drug user. I Everything I do is for him. I only ask for a small donation. Um, but then, you know, the voice just doesn't seem that interested in what he's saying. And, you know, we, we, we get the, we, the, 
we get that effect where the camera kind of zooms in real fast to the character, but we don't actually see him get dispatched. And that's our cold open. We get our title card. And then we are introduced to Angie. As I said, she is a foul mouth stripper at a adult bookstore that has booths in it. You know, those, those uh, uh, booths that are separated by glass or plexi, whatever. Um, and, you know, she shows up, uh, has a little interaction with Ray. Ray is surprised to see her there again, but she says, I need to pick up the shifts anywhere I can. We don't know why yet. Um, and then Ray just, you know, like I said, Ray gives her some shit, you know, not having a life and talking about this man that she has in her life. Yet she never spends any time with him. She's always over here working at the at the bookstore, blah, blah, blah. Um and eventually Ray gives her a booth. Uh, it, it looks like they have to rent. It looks like the girls have to rent the booth. And then, of course, I guess they keep the money that the, that the uh, Johns, if you will, give her to dance. Um, you know, we get some comedy here and there. The door to her booth is stuck and Ray has to come let her in. And that turns into a big joke and plot point throughout the film where uh, later on when the stripper is trapped in the room because of the door, you know, she ends up needing help to get out, but I'm getting ahead of myself. Um, as the stripper is coming into work, as Angie is coming into work, we are also introduced to Sally. Sally is the leader of this group of protesters that's outside Revealer. By the way, Revealer is the name of the bookstore. I, I, I like the name for a bookstore. I'm not really sure how I feel about it for the movie, but, you know, we'll get to that here in a little bit. Um we're introduced to Sally and Sally's, you know, your basic religious zealot, you know, yelling a gospel at Angie talking about how she's going to go to hell and blah, blah, blah. And of course, Angie is just facetious throughout the entire conversation. You know, at one point, inter uh, Angie interrupts Sally and just says, you know what, I got to go take a shit. So I'm going to get out of here, blah, blah, blah. So, um, and then basically as Angie is dancing in her booth, we see a few, we see a couple of different Johns come in and, you know, pay for a dance and, you know, she gives them their dance and they leave. But then suddenly we hear a commotion outside and the, and the, the building loses power. Um, there's just emergency lights on. So, and of course she's stuck in her booth because she can't get out without Ray's help. She's, you know, she's just this petite woman who, you know, it isn't going to be able to get this uh, door open that's stuck on a, uh, what, like a floorboard, I think they mentioned. So, you know, she's screaming for Ray, you know, what's going on out there, blah, blah, blah. Suddenly Ray appears and his throat is slit. He's literally kind of walking around almost like Frankenstein with his arms extended forward. But we can we can see that his throat has been slit and, you know, we, we still don't know what's going on exactly. Ray falls to the floor, seemingly dead. And then um, as Angie continues to scream for someone to let her out of the room, she realizes that she's not alone. In the very next booth is our religious zealot. Sally, yes, uh, apparently when the shit went down outside, Sally and a few others also ran into the store. We actually do see a scene where a couple of them try to run into the adult bookstore, but Ray obviously is telling them, no, no, you're not, you're, you can't come in here. And then we see Ray get pulled out of the, uh, of the store, hence, uh, you know, the neck injury that we see him with a little bit later on. And then, you know, th this is where the majority of the movie is just Sally and Angie. They're just basically talking back and forth. There's a lot of heart-to-heart -heart conversations, a lot of, you know, um, aggravated uh, yelling at each other, accusations being thrown back and forth, you know, Sally calling Angie a whore. At one point, Sally starts talking about... Um, Angie's man and instantly Angie just stops her and says unless you want your unless you want me to cut your tongue out you will stop your line of dialogue right now you know so basically you know she's very defensive of her man we'll find out why in a little bit um they're trying to figure out how to get out you know they, they they're hearing noises outside Sally kind of we still haven't seen what's going on outside but Sally does kind of describe it to Angie saying that basically you know, the skies turned red and everybody just started attacking each other. People just started hacking each other, killing each other. And then she talked about uh, she thought she saw some dead bodies actually getting back up, but that she was running away and couldn't really tell, blah, blah, blah. 
Um, Angie convinces Sally to kind of help her get to some underground tunnels. Apparently below the bookstore, there are some access tunnels that were used by the city for sewage and shit like that. And um, Angie's, you know, confident that if they can get down into the, into the sewers or catacombs, whatever you want to call them, that they'll be able to find a way, you know, out the river you know, to the river and, you know, basically back out into the world. Unfortunately, Sally keeps saying, no, there's nothing left out there. There's nothing for us to go to do. It's just it's hell on earth. And she actually uses the term hell on earth, which is kind of poignant. We'll find out why in a little bit. And um, this is when we kind of find out who Angie's quote unquote man is, because Angie is adamant that she will not be leaving him to go, you know, to just get herself to safety or, or, you know, try to save herself. She, she's adamant that she wants to go get her man. And that's when we find out that the quote unquote man that Angie is talking about is actually a 12 year old boy who is her nephew. Um, but she is the guardian for this boy because I guess one of the parents died and then the other one turned into a junkie and they just left the kid somewhere. But she, the stripper is like the sister of the mom, I think if I remember correctly, so she basically just took the boy and, you know, uh, basically is raising her on her own. And this is why she strips. And this is why she keeps taking extra shifts is it's expensive to raise a child in this world, especially on a stripper's salary. So she's taking all the extra shifts that she can to try to help her. Obviously, Sally has to eat crow. She instantly feels bad for the things that she said because she actually called her man. What is he, a drug dealer? Does he beat you? Like she actually started making accusations about the character of a person that she's never met. But again, that's how Christians are. <laughs> sorry, not sorry. All right. So. Um, at this point, um, Sally and Angie are attacked by something. They basically figure out that the walls in between the boots are really thin. It's just like, uh, it's just, um, uh, what do you call it? Particle board and, um, you know, just, just some thin materials, um, you know, between. So they start kind of banging holes through the wall. They, they're, they're trying to make a big enough hole so that Sally can come over to Angie's booth and then they can start trying to dig through the floor to get to the tunnels. Um, and as Sally is moving in between the two booths, something attacks Sally from inside her booth. Um, unfortunately, the camera is inside of Angie's booth, so we can only see, um, you know, Sally kind of being grabbed by some tentacle type thing. It could be a tentacle or a snake type appendage. And it does turn out to be some kind of snake or eel. I don't even think these are technically snakes. I think these are eels or potentially even worms, just giant fucking worms. But uh, basically this giant big ass worm wraps itself around Sally to try to get her to pull, to try to pull her back into her booth. But then, you know, Sally is able to get the snake off her. And as soon as Sally gets the snake off her, it attacks Angie and actually jumps into her mouth. And uh, basically, Angie and Sally are both, they both have hold of the snake, trying to make sure that it doesn't go all the way down her throat and potentially kill uh, or do worse uh, to Angie. Eventually, they are able to get the worm eel thing out of her mouth and they squash the shit out of it. But then they turn around and the thing's still alive and it, it actually crawls away. It goes back to the other booth. Um, so, yeah, these things are not easy to kill, apparently. At this point, Sally gets over and, and I'm skipping a lot, folks. I'm skipping. I mean, this movie is basically all conversation. It's, it's Sally and Angie talking back and forth. They're developing a relationship, developing a friendship. Um, throughout the course of the movie, we find out that Sally actually has lesbian tendencies. She's a virgin. She's a good Christian girl. But that she says that the reason that she hates Angie is because the first time she saw Angie dancing, she actually felt something. And, and instantly she was like, that's wrong. You know, that's just wrong. The Bible says it's wrong. Blah, blah, blah. So, yeah. So basically our little Sally is, uh, is a little uh, lesbian. Yeah, too bad. I, w I would have liked to have seen her just to be a little bit more open about it. But, you know, throughout the entirety of the film, she fights it. She's just like, no, this can't be me. This can't be me, blah, blah, blah. As any Christian with gay tendencies would say, you know, it's it's the devil. It's just the devil working against me, blah, blah, blah. Um, yeah. 
<laughs> and just hope, hope and pray it away. Exactly, pray it I, away. Maybe I, maybe I, I, I do, I do like the fact that you know they make a point to because the movie is largely just the two of them, other than like the creatures. It does kind of force you know two kind of opposites to work together to resolve the situation. So of course you get like the the differences and the similarities between them, kind of when they are on the same page about something versus when they're not and by the end of it it's like they're they they develop like i guess as much of a friendship as you could in a, what a night i think it is <laughs> like overnight half a, half a day probably yeah probably didn't even seem like a whole day yeah but um, neither one like it, it is cool because like neither one fundamentally changes who they are uh, other than yeah. her kind of coming out and admitting that she's <laughs> into girls but otherwise like it's not like Oh look, I totally changed you, and now you're correct. Or you know, there's none of that going on. Nope. So it's just kind of like embracing someone despite their differences. So I thought that was pretty cool. Absolutely, definitely. They they stick to their laurels, but they're not. By the end of the movie, Sally is just not you know so crazy bitchy about it. You know, she still has her beliefs. She still believes what she believes, especially because of what's going on outside. But you know, she's she's a little bit more, free, especially when she finds out about the nephew. She's a little bit more forgiving of what angie does and at that point in the film they almost i wouldn't go so far as to say they become friends but at least they kind of start to see eye to eye and they also start to realize that we need to work together if we're going to get out of here so um just before angie and uh, sally break the floor like break through the floorboards to get to the underground tunnels we actually do get our first appearance of our demon um, he makes a quick appearance just as Sally is um, getting through the hole in between the two rooms. Uh, she walks up to the window and there we see him. Uh, just a big old demon, big old horns. Just, you know, no, no, no uh, mistaking what this creature is. Uh, like I said, he does speak, but I forget his exact words. Just more biblical, cryptic, you know, apocalyptic crap, I'm sure. Um, at this point, we find out that Sally is not just an expert on Christianity, but she also knows about other other religions, too, because she knows who this demon is. Like, she actually recognizes him. She says that in the, um, in the Torah, in the book of Tobit, I believe, uh, there's a mention of, um, what was the Jewish name? Ashmedai, Ashmedai, and he is the prince of demons, and um, his main like thing is that he's the demon of lust. Uh, basically anybody who's lustful, this is the demon that they kind of have to deal with. So like I said, in Jewish religion, he's known as Ashmedai, but throughout this film, they call him Asmo Asmodeus. Not Asmodeus from uh, Watchmen, but Asmodeus. And um, yeah, like I said, it comes from the Hebrew Asmed, which, like I said, Prince of Demons is the literal translation. So there you go. A little history lesson there for you. So we find out that this demon is Asmodeus. He is the, uh, like I said, the demon of lust, which makes sense that he's going after, you know, Angie at a strip club, or at least that's what we think. Uh, might actually be a little bit different here. Um, our girls finally do make it to the tunnels and, you know, they're, they're traversing the tunnels. They have multiple different little set pieces here. At one point they're attacked by the worms and have to defend themselves. At another point they're separated. We, we find out what exactly the cold open represented. Basically Asmodeus would find a sinner, someone who doesn't admit their sin, someone who sins, but doesn't admit it. And basically sends them to that red room that we were talking about. And I assume perceivably kills them or tortures them, whatever. Like I said, we never actually get to see. But at one point, he actually, uh, Asmodeus, actually grabs Angie by the neck and sends her to that room. The same room that we saw the televangelist in earlier on. At this point, though, she starts having a conversation with Asmodeus. Like, she's not scared. And one of the great things about Angie's character is that she's only really scared at the very beginning when she first sees the demon. The rest of the movie, she's all business. I mean, she's talking shit to the demon, you know, uh, just, and like I said, at this point in the movie, when she's trapped in that red room, she's trying to have a conversation with the demon, trying to figure out why he's after them, blah, blah, blah. He says something cryptic potentially in Hebrew that I don't, didn't quite catch. 
And um, and then they get separated. Uh, well, not that they get separated. Basically, what happens is, oh, well, like I said, Angie gets taken to that room. She eventually does snap out of it, if you will. And she's back in the tunnels with Sally. When she comes to Sally is being attacked um, by the worms and she, you know, she's able to grab a crowbar and get all the worms or eels, whatever you want to call these things, um, off of her, and they continue their journey through the tunnels. But at one point in the tunnels, they get to kind of a fork in the road, a fork in the tunnel, and they figure out, or Sally knows that if they go in one direction, it's going to lead them to the church. It's going to lead them to a local church where Sally thinks they'll be safe if this is some kind of demonic you know, interaction, you know, apocalypse going on outside, then, you know, she assumes that if she's inside of a church and she's a good Catholic person, that she'll be safe. And she, of course, is more concerned with getting back to her nephew, trying to figure out what's what. So they end up going their separate ways at the fork. Sally, of course, goes towards the church and Angie goes towards uh, the um, the river. I, they just say the river. I don't know what rivers in Chicago, but there you go. And at one point, Angie thinks she's about to get attacked because she ends up getting to a kind of a dead end in the tunnel. And there's just dozens of those eel things, like just a bunch of them. And they all they all turn around at once and look at her and they start to approach her. But Sally doesn't like run or do anything because she realizes they're running past her. The, the worms are going past her. They're not attacking her at all. And at that moment, she realizes, oh, shit, Asmodeus isn't after me. He's after Sally for some reason. Probably because with Angie being a stripper and former drug addict, Asmodeus already has her. <laughs> he already has her in his, in his grip. So why would he come after her? So, yeah, that's when she makes the realization that Asmodeus is after Sally. She ends up running back up the tunnel, you know, back of the, in the way she came to try to meet up with Sally. And when she eventually finds Sally, Sally's in the midst of getting choked out by the zombie. Uh, excuse me, did I say zombie? By the worms. <laughs> um, you know, she's getting choked out by multiple worms. And then Angie, you know, like, like a hero in the knight in shining armor shows up and, you know, saves Sally. And then we have our final altercation uh, with Asmodeus. Asmodeus makes one more appearance. Sally, or not Sally, excuse me, Angie pleads with him, you know, why are you after her? She's done nothing wrong. I, I'm, I can only assume it's because of the impure thoughts that she has that she's potentially never acted on. At least, you know, that's how that's what Sally claims. Um, but literally, yeah, again, Asmodia starts talking and again, I didn't catch about half of what the fuck the guy was saying. Just, you know, again, more biblical ap apocalyptic shit. And. He grabs Angie by the throat. Basically, I guess he's just sick of her shit, sick of her, you know, um, constantly interrupting his chase of Sally. And it looks like he's just about to choke her out completely. And then in comes Sally with a fucking fire axe and cuts um, Asmodeus's head clean off. <laughs> One of the easiest demon kills I've ever seen in my life. But if you know anything about demons, you know, it's going to be hard to kill a demon on our plane, on the earthly plane. It, it, was, it was so quick and matter of fact. <laughs> exactly. It was almost uneventful. Like I was actually almost unhappy with it. But then the, then the movie continues. So, I mean, at least it kind of saved itself. Um, after Sally cuts the demon's head off, uh, they go on their merry way to go to the church. They They decide, you know, at this point, I don't know if David is even still alive. I mean... You know, Lord knows who he was with when this whole thing went down and the likelihood that he's still alive out there. You know, Angie comes to the realization that he's probably not still alive. So she accompanies Sally to the church. They continue down the path to the church. And then we see probably the coolest scene in the movie, which, of course, is the end. Um, what we see is the tunnel. We see the tunnel with a couple of worms kind of, you know, running around down there. But then we see the camera start to pan up almost like it's a drone, like a drone camera, where it's going up, up, up in the air. And what we see is that the labyrinth that the girls are in is not underground. It's actually above ground, because as the camera pans out, we start to see demons flying around. We see a single eye in the horizon, it, you know, out in the horizon. We see fires and, 
you know, people walking around, you know, multiple different people walking around this labyrinth. So the final reveal is Sally was right. It is hell on earth. Uh, Asmodeus has brought hell to earth because, you know, for those of you who are biblical and do any kind of studying, there are multiple interpretations of hell as being a labyrinth, not necessarily a place of fire and brimstone, but just a labyrinth of just evil and monsters that you can never escape from. And, you know, that's basically your hell. Um, you know, very much like Hellraiser. If you guys remember the uh, the vision of hell from Hellraiser, mm -hmm. it was almost exactly like that. Actually, it was almost exactly the shot from the end of Hellraiser 2 when we actually see Leviathan, um, you know, fold back into shape. And then and that's it. Uh, fade to black. And that is Revealer 2022. Like I said, like, like we've all said, a fun little movie, nothing remarkable, you know, nothing that's going to be on anybody's top 10 at the end of the year. But just a fun little movie that I definitely don't regret spending my 85 minutes with. And um you know, I definitely, if this is this director, what's his name, Luke Boyce, um, if this is his first feature, I look forward to seeing what he can do more. Because this is a good, you know, this knowing that this is a first-time feature just elevates it a little bit for me. Because it, it does look nice. If this would have been like a 10th or 12th feature under this director's belt, I would have been a little bit less impressed. Because it does look amateurish in certain parts, you know. Um, you know, we've all kind of pointed that out in different areas where there's some filmmaking choices that very much look like a first time director, as Don mentioned. So but I still say this is a fun little movie worth watching. Like I said, yeah. nothing. I, I wouldn't purchase it necessarily, you know, physical media or anything, but it's on Shutter. If you have access to Shutter, check it out. It's a cool little movie, um, you know, especially if you have any kind of religious background in your life either as a child or as a, or as an adult i think it could be a pretty interesting watch but yeah fun little movie yeah. um yeah I, I i don't have much to add uh i i mean considering you know shutter's less than impressive track record this is probably on the higher end but um i i still haven't gone through everything that they have um, you know, originals or exclusives or whatever you want to call them. Uh, there's still a few more I haven't seen yet. So, yeah, it's definitely on the higher end. Um, probably would get dropped off. But, uh, you know, like I said, it's nowhere near something like a Night's End or uh, what was that other what was that other one we reviewed? That uh, piece of crap. Um, uh, shit. Yeah. I, know, I, I watched The Haunting of... Uh, <laughs> What was it? The haunt? No, the scary of sixty first was the one oh, that I watched on my own, and that was terrible. <laughs> yeah, that's the one I was thinking of. Yeah, scary of sixty first. Oh, that was bad. Fucking Jeffrey Epstein. Are you fucking kidding me? Are you kidding me? I, I, I mean, yeah, I, I almost nearly fast forwarded the film from that point as soon as they I made almost that stopped. Video. Yeah, yeah, that said his name. I, I'm like, what am I watching? I don't want to watch this. Yeah. If this is about Jeffrey Epstein. <laughs> I know. Yeah, that, that one was. Uh, I, I am so glad we kind of overlooked that one because yeah. I, I, I would have uh, vetoed that one and tried to get something else on. Oh, I hear you. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. That, yeah. That, I mean, that was one. I, I have zero hesitations about calling that one of the worst films of the year yep absolutely yeah shutter definitely is not having a great 2022 the sadness is definitely the high point this year for shutter um and i, I really hope because i love shutter i genuinely do love shutter um you know yeah. obviously they have some years that are better than others i think their 2020 was awesome oh. they're Right. Yeah, 2020 was just uh, incredible. I mean, they had Blood Quantum, Dark and the Wicked. Mm -hmm. well, and I, I mean, I mean oh, so that one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. those those three <laughs> alone. That yeah, that uh, that to me is like highlight bill. I mean, yep. Yeah, the, the, that was that was an incredible year. I mean, just <laughs> I mean, those three alone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, so it is a yeah, slow. Me I was gonna say yeah, it's unfortunate because I think. When it just comes to movies in general, Shutter's adding a lot of good stuff this year. Just not new, not new releases haven't been as as good as yeah. previous years. They're adding a lot of classics, though. I mean, recently they added what Return of the Living Dead, The Thing. Like these are horror standards that should be on Shutter. There's no reason they shouldn't be, and now they're starting to add them. So, you know, at least their libraries, e even though you know they may not be what they were in 2020 for original content, you know, with all the great movies and creep show and everything else. But, you know, I, fingers crossed that the rest of the year looks good for them. 
<laughs> yep, uh, I agree on that. Uh, do we have anything coming out in the theater this week? Do you know? Nothing in theaters until Nope on July 22nd. Um, yeah. Okay. Uh, we do have two. Uh, we have two releases over the last week on VOD that look mildly interesting. One of them is called The Summoned. Um, that I I would kind of be a little leery about that one, and I was going to bring this up because uh, the one this week on the third day is a Argentinian film. Ooh, <laughs> is that VOD? That's the yeah. one that just dropped on Shutter because yeah, I saw that. Yeah, I think that's either. I think, I think it dropped either today or yesterday. Okay. Yeah, because I was going to yeah. throw on Revealer just for, as a second watch during work today, and I saw like a new thing on the featured list, and I just and yeah, I, think I was going to mention Argent- it at the beginning, but I couldn't remember the name. Yeah, on the third day, I think that's Argentinian. So, I mean, I'm I'm kind of sure saying that uh, Venom's put that on the list. <laughs> Well, what's funny but, is that the other movie I was going to mention, and and not to say that I've heard great things about it, but because I'm such a fan of the author, it's something that I, I, I'm probably going to watch it anyway. And that's um, H.P. Lovecraft's Witch House. Now, I, I, seen, I, I, well, I was I was going to say I've seen both of those. Summoned is thriller more than horror. It, it doesn't really become a horror film until the third act. Mm-hmm. It's not bad, but I, I, it, I'm not the right target audience for it. I, I think you guys would probably like it more than me. Uh, Witch House is a just, uh, it's an indie film that just kind of takes the name. I, I don't mind it, but it, it's kind of, mm, it, it, it takes the concept more rather than uh, does anything actually based on his work. I, I, I think the uh, Masters of Horror segment on, that uh, adapted the stories uh, more is a more faithful version. Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, I would give it a watch. Um, I, I actually do know a couple of people that are actually in the film. I'm uh, friends oh, nice. with a couple of them. I mean, I'm going to so, watch it regardless. It's something yeah, I'll it's, bring up on the main show. But I, like I said, I haven't heard great things, so I'm not yeah. – it, it wasn't going to be a big choice for this show. Yeah, it's not bad, but it's not – if you're looking for, like, a faithful adaptation, yeah, it's nowhere close. I think it just yeah. takes the concept. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's watchable. And like I said, I'm friends with a couple people in the film. So, yeah. But, um, yeah, I I was going to say, I I think the uh, Argentinian film might be our uh, next choice. Sounds good. Sweet. All right. Well, with that said, uh, let's find out where we can hear everyone with their latest and greatest. So, Venom, I'll kick it to you first. All right. Um. First of all, apologies for the delay on Creature Comforts episode 10. I actually did turn it in over a week before it actually appeared in the feed, but um, there was an upload issue, and then our um, our network head uh, basically went on vacation for the 4th of July, so he wasn't able to kind of look at it. So apologies, but it is available now as we speak. It is finally available. No More Room in Hell presents Creature Comforts episode 10, where we look at 2010's Monsters, directed by Gareth Edwards, who would later get the Godzilla job with Legendary Pictures. So, um, fun episode there. Well, fun in the sense that uh, we tried an experiment of uh, reviewing a movie that none of us have ever seen before. And Mike, I'm sure, can tell you some of the stories from episodes, past episodes of the main show, and even Theme Warriors, where... uh, you kind of take a chance when you pick a movie that no one's ever seen. <laughs> and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, we, we, we kind of paid the price this time. So it, it's not a long episode, thankfully. So check it out. Um, it is available as we speak. Uh, the main show, No More Room in Hell, episode 46, is uh, available as of late last week, I believe, or early this week. And that was, um, we looked at Derek's picks, which were a couple of uh, underappreciated slashers from the early 2000s. Uh, we looked at 2000's Cut and 2007's Drive Through with Horny the Clown, which turned out to be a pretty interesting character. First time watch for me on uh, Drive Through, so that was kind of interesting. Um, so yeah, that's the main show uh, currently available, um, and I think that's all I have. Right? Yeah, I don't have any guest spots this time, so <sighs> ah, just enjoying um, the California. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Don, how about you? All right, uh, as mentioned, we have uh, Creature Comforts episode 10. So, yeah, the the latest episode. 
Um, if you want a double dose of me, um, I'm actually involved in a cross uh, promotional project with a group of with a podcast I promote called Fraternity. So I joined their show and uh, we looked at Deathgasm, which Ooh. was a lot of fun. That was a first time watch for both of them. So yeah, that was a uh, blast to record. And then um, I ended up having uh, the main host of that show, um, Robert, real quickly. Uh, the, the concept of the show is that uh, it's two brothers. The older brother is schooling the younger brother in horror. So he's taking him to school, essentially, and uh, showing him the classics. So that, you know, hence the name Fraternity. So um, I had uh, him on the show, and we looked at our favorite romantic horror movies. So as much as I resisted the urge to make the uh, necromantic joke as my number one, um, I unfortunately (laughs) did not do it. Um, so kind of mild spoilers there, but, um, you know, I, I did take it a little bit more seriously than that. Uh, we had a lot of fun with it. Um, that is, uh, the latest episode of the horror countdown podcast, which, uh, is available now. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, pretty much all on my end. Yeah. I listened to the last episode, Don, really, really, really good stuff. Um, I will say though, that when your guest put my favorite universal horror film ever as his number 10 universal horror sequel, it broke my heart a little bit. It definitely broke my heart a little bit, but he had good reasoning at least. So he he didn't, uh, didn't, uh, my kind of choice reverse, uh, restore your faith in humanity. Oh, absolutely. It did. Yeah. I'm just, (laughs) I I was just so surprised because your guest, um, you know, he came off as, you know, very well-spoken, very intelligent. And, you know, not to say that you're not smart if you don't agree with my choice, not at all. But, I mean, as he was listing the rest of his top ten, I'm just like, that's not better than my movie. That's not better than my movie. <laughs> I just found myself, like, disagreeing with him on every pick. But he did a great job. It was a really good listen. So, yeah, check it out, folks, if you get a chance. Check out any of these episodes. These are fun you know, quick listens, about an hour long. I, I enjoy them. And I like lists. So, you know, if you like top 10 lists, it's a no brainer. Well, thanks. Yeah. It's uh, kind of just like me uh, listening to you. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's um, all I got. So, okay. Uh, as far as I go, yeah, it's No More Room in Hell. Uh, the latest episode of that is out where we talked cut and drive-through. Uh, I think Ben, ben mentioned that already. Um, and then I actually have a new sidecast that I just put out episode one of. It's it's actually just been submitted to the actual Dark Discussions Network, but if people can't wait, it, the YouTube link is already there. So if you do follow the No More Room in Hell podcast feed on, or channel on YouTube, uh, it, it is already there. Uh, it's, it's it's literally called Watch This Movie, Mike, because it's it's just a sidecast uh, with me, and each episode is going to be a different guest. Uh, bring them on to kind of kind of do like an opening get to know you segment, which is mainly for the listeners because I'm sure most episodes is going to be someone already already know the answers to any questions I'm going to ask. And then other than that, I have them pick a movie for us to watch. And I just kind of asked, like, why is this movie what you picked? Because, one, it's not going to be horror only. It can be any genre. And, two, I'm not even necessarily saying, you know, pick your favorite or your best. Because I think with when you get into that, a lot of times what happens is you end up talking about the same movies that everyone talks about on every show. So all, the only requirement, and it's kind of a soft requirement, is the movie just has to mean something to you for any reason right it, it can be that when you watch it the first time it related to something in your life it could just it could be for whatever reason so uh one episode of that is out my first guest was doug tilly who people probably know um i i go way back he's one of the first people i ever collaborated with outside of just you know my own co-host from way back at least a decade or maybe even over a decade now wow it's, it's been a long time um and yeah, I, I kind of, it's funny. I, I kind of recorded like a, a separate opening segment for it because I expected uh, it to take a lot longer to get the first episode scheduled and recorded. But because Doug responded so quick, had the movie picked so quick, it, it's like we recorded and then I'm like, oh, I got an episode and I don't have any of the other stuff that goes into putting it. So I kind of <laughs> recorded like a 
an introductory opening segment for that episode and still kind of playing with the format in the future. So I guess you can consider the first episode a little rough cut preview of what's to come. So if that sounds interesting, uh, it, it'll be on the No More Room and Hell feed in general. So check that out. I have no idea who's going to be the second guest. I, I've sent out a couple communications, but I'll, I'm basically going to just do the thing where I reach out to everybody because I don't care what order people come on. It's just whoever's interested is pretty much an open invite. Um, and obviously all my current co-hosts are going to be invited too. It's just like, I, I kind of wanted to start out by like, do I want to try to rope all the people I already do shows with to like do another thing with me right off the bat? Or should I like wait until I get a handful of episodes in before I start uh, knocking on their doors too? But I'm sure everyone that I already podcast with will eventually show up there. And uh, yeah, that is it for me. Um, but uh, I think with that said, we're going to get out of here and I would say be back in a week's time, but it's already Thursday of this week. So we'll be back in like a few days with <laughs> our next episode. So until then, thanks everybody for listening. We will catch you later. Let's say bye to the listeners. Later. Don't strip for money. Strip for pride. Or strip, strip for, for me. Satan. I can use it. <laughs> <laughs> Peace.